As we come to the scripture, let me ask you please then uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, we come on this Sunday uh, thinking of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem. We know uh, the course of the week for him and his disciples. And so now we come to this passage that is the eve of his crucifixion. And we pray um, that we can really listen and understand and believe, overcome any resistance we may have, Father, to this word. Help us to, to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to John in chapter 15. John chapter 15, I want to begin reading with verse 18 and read really through the first half of uh, verse 4 of chapter 16. So, John chapter 15, verse 18, please. Hear the word of God. Again, Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, on this evening, Jesus has been comforting his disciples, really, because he's going to leave them. And so he, he talks with them about his leaving and he give the, gives them words that hopefully will sustain them, will comfort them, will strengthen them, will support them. He, he tells them that those he going away, he's going to prepare a place for them and he's going to come back for them. That's a good word. He tells them that they know the way to where he's going because he is the way and they know him. That's a good word. They tell him that the Holy, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to come to be with them and in them. So the very Spirit of God will dwell among them and in them. And he tells them that he and the Father will come and make their home in them. That's a good word. And this Holy Spirit who is to come is going to be so much like Jesus that when he speaks to them, these disciples, he'll remind them of all the things that Jesus had said. So he'll sound like Jesus, he'll, he'll, he'll say the same things as Jesus to them. Uh, 
That's a good word Jesus says too. That even though I'm going away, I'm going to leave something else. And that is my peace with you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. But then he goes on and ratchets that up a bit. And he tells them about his relationship with them. That, that there is this union between him, Jesus, and his disciples. And the image he gives is the vine and the branch. He says that he's the vine, you see. And, and we're so close to him and dependent upon and needful of him that we're, his, we're branches that come from him. The good news is that he says, now abide in me, stay there, live there, live from me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing, but, 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 but attached to me, if you will, as branch to vine, you'll bear fruit. And, and, the, and, and the implication there of this fruit is that it will come from the vine that is from Jesus. Thus, the fruit will resemble him. We know that it's an, an orange is going to come from an orange tree and an apple from an apple tree and all of that. And so he says, what's going to come from the vine, Jesus, we as his branches, will resemble him. Everyone will look at the fruit and say, oh yeah, that's from the vine, that's Jesus. And so he says, so I'm going to be that close to you. I'm going to be filling your life in that way. So the fruit that will come will look like me. So it's this fruit of, of peace that, that Jesus gives. It's the fruit of joy that he says will be theirs. It's the fruit of love, really, because he says this is how you're to live. You're to love as I have loved you. And so you see, all of that is to be a comfort to them. But then Jesus speaks to them about the environment in which they are going to live. Yes, they're going to abide in Jesus, live from him, if you will. But he says, now, in the midst of that, you're going to be in the world. And I need to tell you, before I go, I need to tell you about the world. It will hate you. And you think, Jesus, I thought this was going to be a pep talk. I thought this was going to be comforting. And now you're going to tell me about this world that's going to hate me. And so he says then, as we read in chapter 16, why he's telling them this. In a sense, it is to strengthen them. It is to warn them. It is to protect them. It really is to help them. Because he knows that when the world hates them, if the world persecutes them as they experienced, like they persecuted Jesus, then uh, it could be a surprise. And if they're not expecting this hatred of the world, they don't understand that's the environment in which they will be, then they could be so surprised by that as to think that maybe this gospel of Jesus, this truth, isn't really true. And that they'll be tricked or they'll be snared or they'll be trapped or, as we have it here, they'll be ones who fall away. And so he says, I want to warn you. And he says, the way that they'll hate you in particular, this particular group of disciples, is that they'll put you out of the synagogues, which which meant more than they just couldn't show up to church, if you will. It meant that they lost everything. They lost their whole culture. They lost their political standing. Uh, they, they lost probably their employment. They lost probably their families. To be put out of the synagogue was, was to, be, to be put out of everything in their culture. And so they'll put you out of the synagogues. And he says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. That's how perverted and this will be. That will be the nature of this kind of hatred. 
It's the same kind of hatred they had to Jesus, of course. They really thought or gave the impression they thought that they were doing the work of God when they killed him because he was a blasphemer. And so they were going to kill him. So they said, we're doing the work of God. So they'll treat you the way they treated me. And they'll do these things, he says, because they haven't known the Father nor me. But, but I want to tell you. And you see, he knows we're vulnerable to this kind of thing. We, we're human beings. We like to be liked. We like to be affirmed. But when we're ridiculed, when we're turned out, he says, now understand, there's something behind all of this. I want you to, to know this ahead of time. To be a hostile environment in which you live. And so he is to lay that out for them. John Stott, commentator, he's passed away. Shouldn't smile, but I can quote him better now. Um, but he, um, he puts it like this. He says, what Jesus is laying out for us is two communities. The world, on the one hand, and you, on the other. Now, the, the, the world isn't the globe. It isn't the world of people. It isn't like going around the, the world or something like that. But he has a technical sense in which he's using it here, Jesus. And, and it's the, the sense in which it mostly used, at least in the New Testament. And it's this, this world system that's apart from God, right? That, is, that would reject Jesus, that doesn't know the Father. That world, that, that world that's under the oversight, the power, not absolute power, not sovereign power, but under the rule, the power of Satan, who's called the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, the God of this age. And so it's that sense that he's using the world, this world that's hostile towards Jesus, that hates him, that rejects him. Uh, and he says, now you, that is his disciples, and then the you of disciples that will come down through the ages, the church, says, you now are, are, are another community. You no longer belong to the world because I've chosen you out of it. I've chosen you out of this world, so you're no longer of it. You will be in it, but no longer of it. You no longer belong to it, which means you no longer share its beliefs. You no longer share its values. You no longer share its standards. You no longer share its understanding of life. You're qualitatively different than the world in that sense. You're no longer of it. You no longer belong to it. And Jesus would say, I never belonged to it. I've chosen you out of it. You belong now to me. You're of me. You're to share my beliefs, my values, my standards, my life. And so you're that difference. But you're in it. So expect then that you'll be treated in the same way that they treated me. So Jesus lays this out. And really what we have here is, 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 is the world's attitude towards the church, but also the church's attitude towards the world. You see, the question that this, this, this particular passage raises and then answers is, is what is this relationship between the world and the church as they face one another? In other words, how do they regard each other? How are we to think of the world? How does the world think of us? And, and there's one word 
that Jesus uses that describes each relationship. We talk about the world's regard for the church. The word that Jesus uses is hatred. But then, if we think of the, 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 the one word Jesus uses of how the church is to regard the world, he uses the word witness. For instance, in, in, in verses 18 uh, through uh, 25, Jesus speaks of this hatred of the world, but then in, uh, by the world of us. And then in chapter, in verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. He says, listen, their posture, the world's posture towards us is hatred, but our posture, our regard for, our attitude towards the world is that of being a witness to them in the midst of their rejection, even, and hatred of Jesus. And Jesus says, it's really, in one sense, I think, he says, don't take this personally. It's really they hate me. And you belong to me. Therefore, they're going to hate you. Notice verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Jesus says, they hate you because of your connection with me. I did this to you. I took you out of the world. I chose you out of the world. And now this is really, you boil it all down, you scrape it all around. This is how they regard you because this is how the world regards me. And, and they do so because they don't know my, my father. Now, of course, Jesus uh, says to them, uh, I gave them no reason to hate me. They hate me, verse 25. They hate me without cause. And all I did was speak to them the truth about God. I brought to them the very presence of the kingdom of God. I healed them. I gave them sight. I fed them. I raised the dead. And they hated me. What reason did I give them to hate me? Is it so much so that those places where I did those things, oh yes, they had sinned before, the point being, but now they're clearly without excuse. They saw it. They saw me. They, 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 they experienced all of this. And, and to show you the hatred of the world, they still hated me. Even after I fed them, even after I healed them, even after I showed them the kingdom of God. They hated me. That's the evil of the world, you see. And we saw how they hated Jesus. I mean, it didn't take very long at all before Herod wanted this baby Jesus killed and his hatred was so rash that he had all the male children under the age of two killed near Bethlehem after the birth. Think of that. That actually took place, that bloodbath. Not because Herod hated those little boys, not because he hated their moms, 
Not because necessarily he hated that people, but he hated this rival king. And then we saw during Jesus' life the confrontation, the hatred of the prince of this world, Satan, towards him. Jesus having fasted for 40 days and he takes him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit does. He's taken there by the Holy Spirit and, and he meets there Satan and the confrontation between the two of them and, and, and the subtlety and, this, and, and the craftiness and all of that to get Jesus to turn away, to get Jesus to turn away from his mission, to get Jesus to turn away from the cross. We, we see it everywhere where Jesus went. Demons would raise their ugly head and, and we could see the confrontation with Jesus at every turn. We saw it in the life of the religious leaders. And no matter where Jesus went, no matter what he taught, no matter how good he was, they turned against him. They hated him for no cause. We saw it then most explicitly at the cross. The mocking and the humiliation that they put him through. This week, I trust, sometime you'll wrestle with the passages concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. And I trust that in your wrestling with those passages, you'll weep as they mock him and spit on him and strike him. And as they put a crown of thorns on his head, say, you want to be a king? Well, here you go. And they put a robe around his bloodied body. Say, well, here you go. And they mock him with hail, king of the Jews. When from the cross, they, when to the cross, they look. And they say to him, come down. Who are you? If you were really a king, you'd save yourself, you know. And then the cynical indifference of the guards at the foot of the cross. While the son of God is unjustly dying. They're gambling for his clothes. And Jesus said, they'll hate you like they hated me. They'll marginalize you like they marginalized me. They'll be indifferent towards you the way they've been indifferent toward me. That's the nature, you see, of the world. They'll mock you. Well, it may not be as overt or as strong, although it has been throughout history and would be for these disciples and is even in the course of the world in which we live. Uh, But it may be as subtle as ridicule or or whatever in, in that sense. But you know, you see it, you feel it, you understand. Yes, there is a spirit of this age. There is this evil one. Yes, there is all of this. There's this world that that is contrary to that which is true of Christ. And we get it, we understand it. Jesus said, I don't want you to be surprised at this. Know that I'm with you, but, but realize it's all because of me, because your identity with me. In fact, the closer that you're identified with me, the more you'll know this. You wonder, don't you, what really was there about Jesus? What continues to be about Jesus that causes the world to hate him so? Jesus doesn't go into it here, but we we can think of things, for instance, the uniqueness, the unique claims of Jesus, the exclusive claims of Jesus in this pluralistic, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, society that has no absolutes, that has no understanding that anything could be a one-wayness at all. But, 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 but when Jesus speaks of the fact that he indeed is the way, the truth, the life, there is no other. The world has always hated that. 
Because you see, what it means is that I'm wrong if he's right. I'm wrong if he's right. What people say to us, how how can you say that there's only one way? And I always say, I can't. Jesus can. I, I can only quote him, you see. It wouldn't have come to me. It isn't something that I did or made. It's something that he did and he has said. And he has the authority to say it because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's that's who he is, the very son of God. And so if the problem, as we've said, if the problem is that there is a holy God who's just and righteous, and if I'm me, which is unrighteous, And who's going to solve my problem in relation to this righteous God? I owe him a debt. Two debts, really. I owe him the just penalty of having disobeyed him. And then I owe him the debt of obedience. And I can't pay the first because if I do, it'll cost my life for all eternity. And I haven't ever been able to pay him the obedience. So who, as Paul the Apostle puts it, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And, and who else but Jesus, the righteous one. And so what other way do we need? He's the way. What other way do we need? So why won't we embrace him? Why do we hate him? Because it cuts against, you see, our own self-righteousness. And that's the other thing, you see. It seems the world hates him because of the freeness of his, of his offer. Because you see the freeness of his offer. This grace, it says, you can't do anything. I only can do it. You can't do anything. I did it. Trust me. And that cuts right against our own self-righteousness. We say, wait a minute. There has to be something I can do here. I mean, I have to get some credit for this. I'm not that bad after all. I mean, I mean, really? And Jesus, no, no, no. You are that bad. And I really am that good. And I really have it. I really have done it all and really... You really can't do any of it. And, and we say, no, no, no. I'll prove it to you. And it seems the world hates the righteous and holy standard of Jesus as well. It's funny. It seems that the world actually hates non-conformity. Now, we say, wait a minute, the world likes non-conformity. We're all non-conformists. No, no, no. The, the world doesn't care about us as long as we conform to it. <laughs> if we are non-conformists from it, then the world doesn't like us at all, you see. And so when, when Jesus comes with this high and holy standard, the world says, I don't really care what you believe as long as you act the way we do. Right? As, live, as long as you live the way that we do, all is well. You see, what's happened really in, in the church, and I use that broadly, is that a segment, what has been known as the liberal church, has conformed to the world, thus fits well in. Whereas, if I may be so bold to say, 
The true church hasn't. And so you see, in the true church, we look at the standards of Jesus and we realize they're above us. And so rather than lower the standard, we repent and ask him to help us live like that. And that's the life we live, you see. Whereas the liberal church has capitulated to the world and lowered the standard and said, well, if needn't be here, let it be here. Thus, we can do that. Thus, we can be like everyone else. Thus, we can fit in with everyone else. Thus, they won't notice. Thus, they don't hate us. You see, the closer we are to Jesus, really explicitly, when we speak of him, when we say, this is why we are who we are, this is why we do what we do, the world, you see, doesn't like that. And so, they've hated him. Indeed, they hate us. But notice, there's something of Jesus that must be true of us as well. Verse 25. Jesus says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. You see, if we're hated by the world, it shouldn't be because we deserve it. It shouldn't be because we're obnoxious. It shouldn't be because we're hard to get along with. It, couldn't be, it shouldn't be because we're hypercritical. It shouldn't be because we're too demanding. It, it shouldn't be any of that. It should be because we're related to Jesus because we look like him. And so we're to not be hated for reason. Peter would pick up on this very point, for instance, in the, one of the passages I read this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, Peter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. <laughs> He says, listen, don't be surprised, is how he begins the passage, at the difficulties you face in the world. Don't be surprised at that. Fiery trials that come in all kinds of ways. Just make sure it's without cause. You're not suffering because you've actually sinned. You've done something wrong. You've hurt another. Not because of that, but because you're related to, to Christ. Really, that's, that's why. In, in chapter 4 earlier of First Peter, he puts this, puts it like this, verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human pas- passions, but for the will of God. So be identified with, reflecting of Jesus. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, Peter is saying, I I know what it's like not to be of the world. We live to reflect Christ they're surprised that we can't affirm the way that they live and they'll malign us for it. Don't be surprised. 
one sense, it isn't personal. It's because they hate Jesus, which is personal. You get my point. So Peter writes also in chapter 2 of this epistle. He says, Beloved, verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you hear that. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you see, they'll see our lives, they'll see the standards of Jesus, and they'll say, that's wrong, that's evil in our day, that's intolerant. Right? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, he's saying... Still, don't give them any cause to say that. Then he says this in chapter 3 of this epistle. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason For the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, not if, when you're misunderstood, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing than for doing evil. So we, we get it. Yes, we understand hostile environments, hated Christ, hate us because we're joined with him, but also we realize this too. They hated him without cause. We shouldn't give them cause. The only cause, if you will, which isn't a cause, is that we're loving, is that we're peaceful. We live at peace with them. Is we're filled with joy. They hate us for that. So the posture of of the church to the world, really, is this word of of witness, really. It it isn't vengeance. (laughs) It isn't anger, right? It isn't retaliation. It isn't any of that. That's not our posture towards the world. It's really love. It's really witness. You know, the contrast that Jesus drew here, drew in the Sermon on the Mount can find it in Matthew in chapter 5. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. See, that's this sense of witness. The, the world is corrupt. It's rotten. It needs something to preserve it. That's the very presence of you. That's the very presence of the church in the world. The witness of the church isn't to retaliate, vengeance is the Lord's and all of that. But it's to be salt, it's to bring purity to preserve, you see. And you're the light of the world, it's dark. With all the darkness and the tragedy and sin and so forth, we're to be the light there. We're to be the, the very witness 
of Christ. And we know this witness of Christ, it, it, he says it's, it's a witness before the world, you know, and it's a witness to Christ before the world. You know, oftentimes when we think about sharing our faith or being a witness, we talk more about us than we do about Jesus. And he becomes a witness to us. And, and, and so it really should we you think about it as you, you know, as you think about how do I share my faith. And, and again, I don't think there's a canned way to do that. Some of you have those canned ways. And they work for you to keep doing them. But, uh, but, but it, it depends on who you're talking to, when you're talking to them, and how, where you find yourself with them. But, but be thinking all the while. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. What can I tell them about Jesus that will be of help to them? You see, it's a witness before the world to the truth concerning Jesus. Now, you know and I know when we do that, there are times when we can really sense the hostility of the world. We don't mention Jesus. It's not that big a deal. We can talk about how our life has changed, how it's been transformed, and how we're, we're way better than we used to be, and how we have peace, and, and, and how things are better in our marriage, and how things are better with our kids, and how things are better here, and things are better there. And people go, wow, that's great. You should write a book about that. That's really good. You know, as well as I, and then we say, but, but you know, it, it's all attributed to Jesus. So it, it's this witness before the world to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Notice, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit's at work, you see, in the midst of this. But then, and you also bear witness. So they were to bear witness as the Holy Spirit bears witness. They had this. Through the word of the apostles. See, the you there, as we've been mentioning, is primarily these disciples of Jesus. These ones who were eyewitnesses. These ones who saw the resurrected Christ. And they would be the ones through whom this New Testament would be written. The Holy Spirit would move in them to write and in them to speak to others who would write. And even the apostle Paul, who was a witness of the resurrected Jesus. And they would be the eyewitnesses. We get this word from them. And so this witness that we have is before the word, world, it's a witness to and of Christ, of the Holy Spirit at work through us as we relate this word about Jesus that we've received from these eyewitnesses, these apostles. You know, as we come to this, this table, first thought, look how they hated him. It reminds of the crucifixion, as well it should. And we ask the question, why would anyone hate him? gave sight to the blind, gave help to the poor, he enabled the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, even raised the dead. 
Why would they hate him? We see it here. But what we also see here is how he loved us. In the midst of being hated, how he loved to give himself. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he'd washed his disciples' feet and he said, no servant is greater than his master, so love one another as I've loved you. And then he said, greater love is no man than this, give his life for his friends. And then he said, no servant is greater than his master, they'll treat you like they treated me. Now you witness to them of me and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said this is my body which is given to me given to you and he says remember me in the same way he took the cup and again after giving thanks he gave this too to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me and in this declaration of the Lord's death, what we remember is, yes, how they hated him, but yes, how he loved. And then how we are to receive that love and then take it. And you may ask the question, do we have any hope? Let me ask you this. Do you hate him? And you say, no. No. Because there was a witness before the world to Christ by the Holy Spirit from the teaching of the apostles that gripped your heart and overcame all your unbelief. And you say, I don't hate him. I believe in him. I love him. Do we have hope as we witness in this world? As we live and breathe. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. That we really would grab hold of this truth that comforts us to know that we don't need to be surprised when there's hostility. We know that it's aimed at you. And we have the privilege of being united with you and to suffer with you. But also we know that this witness that's before the world, that's of Christ by the Holy Spirit through this powerful gospel word that we've received from these apostles, we know, God, that it's powerful to overcome unbelief because it has in us and to turn hatred to love. So, Father, I pray that we would be rightfully grateful and rightfully strengthened in our attitude to the world in which we live. We needn't retaliate, that we needn't be angry, that we needn't be joyless, that we needn't be vengeful, we needn't be bitter, but God, we can be witnesses. And that you'll take the word that we share 
That's from the word of the apostles. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's of Christ. Shared before the world. That it will be powerful. Powerful as we speak it to our spouses. Powerful as we speak it to our children. Powerful as we speak it to our parents. Powerful as we speak it to our neighbors. Power to, as we speak it to our friends. Power to, as we speak it to our co-workers. Power as we speak it throughout the world. And this we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you this table isn't the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church is the table of the Lord. And he invites to it all those who don't hate Jesus. Who know him and love him. His hearts have been changed. Thus have been chosen out of the world of hates into the world that loves. That is all those who understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And all those who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. And all those who now understand their attitude towards the world. Light and witness. That's true for you. I invite you to come to these two sections. Hey, you can come however you want today. <laughs> just come. Forget about it. In the back, you come first. Wherever. Just get up and come. Get up and come. And as you take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And say, I don't hate him. I'm his witness. Please come.